0: psalmist said I was glad when they said to me let us go to the house of the Lord Uh, and it is a joyful thing to gather together there's the praise of God that's one one uh, reason for our joy and there's a fellowship of uh, of the believers fellowship of the saints there in the Lord's house and hope that is your experience this morning Uh, just a a by way of uh, prayer request um, it's good to have Doug uh, here with us from sunny Florida uh, but he and Ed will be traveling to Spain. Um, they'll be leaving this afternoon, headed over to Spain for a couple of days. Uh, they're going to meet up with one of our missionaries, Mark, uh, Pastor Mark in Tanzania. Uh, and uh, they're going to have an opportunity to get to know him a little better and um, what's going on in the ministry there. So it's, a, it's an exciting uh, meeting and hopefully... Uh, through that, we'll find better ways we can just minister with them and pray for them and uh, and support that work going on there. Let me also mention tonight, Taylor Callen will be preaching uh, for our communion service. He's a pastor of Horkon Baptist, Baptist um, wherever that's at, Brent Lake. <laughs> uh, but he's part of our local pastor's fellowship, so I'm excited about that, him coming, and and I'm sure you'll look forward to that. And it is good to have uh, our our dear brother General Reno with us and his wife Karen. And uh, last November we prayed for her, uh, and I want you to just continue to pray for her. So it's good to see uh, see them uh, with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter number fourteen. <clears throat> John chapter number fourteen. Last week, we looked at uh, Jesus' promise to his disciples to answer prayer, and uh, I was encouraged by many remarks uh, following that uh, passage of scripture in our time last Sunday. I uh, found them very encouraging uh, to me in reminder that uh, preaching through books of the Bible, how God takes those, uh, those things going on in the next chapter, next verse, and, and how they're so uh, relevant to where we are. Uh, And so uh, I just want to encourage you, as we did last week, just to keep on praying and believing. Well, we want to pick up our reading this morning in verse number 15 of John 14. And I'm going to read down to verse uh, 24, if you can follow along with me. The Bible says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know him, for He d- uh, dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What an amazing verse that is, right? Uh, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live with you, you also will live. That day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments keeps them. He it is who loves me, and who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the words that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Heavenly Father, may you bless the reading of the word and its implications and applications to our hearts and lives. Speak to us through um, the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit this morning in Jesus' name. amen Amen and amen. Moses is arguably the most, one of the most, if not the most, apart from Jesus Christ, notable figure in the Bible. Uh, his accomplishments, the significance of his ministry are unparalleled except to Jesus alone. Uh, you have read through Exodus and you have saw the signs. Many of you are familiar with the signs that he did. God worked through him, the miracles Parting of the Red Sea, the plagues that was uh, was uh, put on Egypt, pray and God giving manna from heaven, water from a rock, all of that attributed to the ministry uh, and happening in the ministry of this man named Moses. Um, for forty years, he accomplished so many things, received such privilege that uh, that it's hardly we're hardly able to capture it. I mean, to speak to God face-to-face in the sense of the way God describes him speaking to Moses, being on Mount Sinai and, and having the law given to him and, and helping establish the nation of Israel in this kind of cohesive, uh, cohesive nation. It's easy for us to think about Moses in these grand ways, isn't it? And forget about the beginnings. Now, by that, I don't mean the basket uh, or his training in Egypt, though that's helpful, I'm sure, to him. What I mean is the man standing before a burning bush, Uh, the shepherd who was uh, watching sheep in a barren wasteland for 40 years, as the Bible says, on the backside of the desert, the one who was so insecure about his gifted and his abilities at this point in his life He says, I can't even put a sentence together. What do you mean, send me anywhere? I'm talking about the man who was a fugitive from Pharaoh and at least guilty of manslaughter, if not outright murder, as he killed an Egyptian. That's the Moses that we find the beginning of this. That's the one who God says and called, you will do my will. I'm sending you to Egypt to deliver these these Israelites out of slavery. Uh, wouldn't you like to have been there for that job interview, especially the way we think about job interviews today? So, what exactly is my responsibility in this mission you give me? Uh, what what will be my job duties? What will entail? What, what will it involve? H- how many hours a week will it take? And and how much vacation do I get um, in this forty year project? <laughs> to which God would simply answer, "I expect you will have little free time, no vacations." whatsoever you will lead a nation of grumbling people who don't want to go in a uniform line across the desert there'll be no food no water except for that which i provide uh, from heaven and through a rock Uh, you're going to face the the greatest leader on earth and tell him to let the people go and this will require some supernatural working uh, that you'll you'll see as it comes along i am going to use you to dictate the law Uh, And you will establish this this people into a nation. To which Moses rightly responded, if you're familiar with your Bible, uh, I think you got the wrong guy. I'm not signing up for that kind of job. I can't do that. Which God answers him, and I think it's important. I know you're like, where are you going with all this? Well, God answers him, which I think is remarkable. Well, I'm going with you. Like that just solves it. Uh, deliver the children out of Egypt all that will entail that and God God his his response to Moses's uh, reluctancy is well I'll be with you I'm going with you in this process you're not doing it by yourself Moses I will help you I don't know if that's exactly what the disciples were feeling or what they were thinking as Jesus was talking to them about leaving them, and they would continue on his work and do the same things that he was doing. In fact, he he even was bold enough to say earlier on in chapter number 14, you'll do greater works than the ones you saw me do. And, And all of that seems to be a daunting task, not to mention the grief that they were experiencing in this moment of Jesus saying, I'm leaving with you. And some of you feel that in your own Christian life as you not just serving God in some kind of capacity, but your own Christian life as you come to the Bible and you read about how to love your wife or wives, how to live and submit to your husbands or children, how to act or parents, how to raise children or, or, or the commands to one another. And you look at those who can do this, this kind of daunting task to be a Christian and Jesus is telling the disciples, which I think is an encouraging reminder to us well i 'm going to help you i 'm going to help you. We already looked last week in the provision that he offers in serving God and carrying out his ministry on the earth is he's going to help us by answering our prayers isn't it? We mentioned that whatever you ask in my name, verse number thirteen, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son if you ask me anything in my name I will do it so I'm going to help you and I'll help you by answering prayers by answering hearing your prayers giving you the ability and the the provision to pray access to the father and so he moves a step further and says and I will provide other assistance the Holy Spirit he will come and he will be as ESV translated a helper I want us, before we consider what he says about the Holy Spirit, but to work through this as, as, it, as it's given to us here, which is sort of interwoven the, the relationship or the work of the Holy Spirit and, and those who will receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, you see that first in verse number 15. And before you think it's just a minor thing that he says, uh, he repeats this four times in the text. So we begin there. Those who will receive this help from God. Those who will receive the helper, or we could say those who will receive the Holy Spirit. Beginning in verse 15, he says it this way. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So he's speaking of those who love Jesus. Those who are obedient to his commandments. And and then he moves further to say verse number 21. Whoever has my commandments keeps them. He it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, and Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. In contrast to that, speaking of those who love him, Jesus, whoever does not love me does not keep my word and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me he 's speaking of uh, the disciples, but he doesn't describe the disciples in terms of following uh, it's implied in keeping his commandments he doesn't describe them in terms of some doctrinal statement which it's implied there it's uh, we christianity is is defined in some ways by what we believe who we believe in. He brings us to a different kind of description in this passage he says it is those who love me, those who love me, those who obey my commandments. Now, obedience, verse number 15, verse 21, verse 23, and in the negative sense of verse 24, obedience uh, is an outworking of one's love for Christ. It's Worth stating that because Jesus states it that way. The motive isn't obedience, the motive is love. Uh, The outworking of that love in one's heart is not uh, not just a lifeless affection or a feeling or something that is stagnant, uh, something that is stationary but active. It is not just an inflaming of the heart. It is a moving of the will, a directing of the will in someone's life. That's what Jesus is talking about. This love, which not only is an affection for Christ, but, but is moving the person in such a way that he is obedient to Christ, obeying him, keeping his commandments, and obeying his word. That's worth noting this kind of love is non-natural. And John reminds us of that in First John, doesn't he? For those who claim to love God, rightfully so, we should all... In fact, the greatest commandment that we have is that we love God with all of our heart, right? And First John tells us that here in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us. God loved us first, and we reciprocate that love. Those who have received the love of God reciprocate that love. And so Jesus is coming here now, looking from that, already having been loved by the Father... It is those who love me that will keep my commandments. What does he have in mind in commandments? It's worth asking. There's a few options given to us. One, it could just simply mean his moral commands all throughout Scripture. Don't steal, don't kill, don't covet, uh, forgive one another. Uh, You know, all that the Bible teaches. uh, uh, There's a lot in the Bible and the moral commandments that he's given to us how we should live and pursue righteousness. He may simply just be referring back to John chapter number 13, look back with me, <clears throat> in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you should or that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is repeated again in chapter number 15. Verses 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And so you see this kind of repetition of loving one another, in fact, uh, John tells us in first John, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. How is it evident john well i 'll tell you well, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother and so Jesus may simply here be referring to this commandment that i 've that I've giving you is in relationship to caring for, loving one another. How can we love God who we haven't seen and hate our brother whom we have seen? It doesn't make sense. Well, it could imply more than just this. And that is more than just loving our brothers. But it could imply all that Jesus taught and gave to us which first and foremost, if you do a survey through the gospel of John, which we won't do that for time's sake, is more in the sense of coming to Jesus, believing him, receiving him, trusting in him, than it is the other commands given to us not to make light of them. He does tell us to love one another. John did say it is a mark of being a child of God, to love one another. But it isn't just this action of loving one another. It is first in that action of believing that Jesus has come from the Father and receiving that testimony by faith. In fact, one writer put it this way, and I think he's right. What is meant by obedience is belief in Jesus and the commitment to follow him, which involves loving one another and pursuing Righteousness and all these other things. Well, what is clear in verse 15 and on following? Obedience is a description of those who are in close relationship with Jesus Christ. Those who are described as ones who love him. Now, this kind of language, as we said, exposes kind of a dead formalism a kind of religion that is you just go through the motion and just going about your day or going about your life. You, you do your religious practices, you go, you show up, and then you kind of leave, and it's all external. There's no internal involvement in what you do as far as religion is concerned. It's just something that you're caught up in. Obedience is a living response, first and foremost, inwardly that works itself outwardly. It is a response to our love and affection, our devotion to Jesus Christ. But it also challenges many who find themselves walking in continual disobedience, doesn't it? And you read a verse like this, in verse number 15, or verse 23, or verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, then it, it presses against us as we are willfully, or moments when we're willfully walking against God's way and against God's will the issue is our disobedience in one sense, but the issue is greater than our disobedience, isn't it? It is who our affection, our devotion, who we are giving ourselves to, committed to in that moment. Those who do not love him, those are the ones who disobey him. It's worth asking the question, is your life marked by obedience? Is it? Your day, your daily life, not this moment in church. You just sung and, and people prayed and we read the Bible. So, I mean, it's, you at least got an hour out of the week that's, that's relatively simple. Though you got a lot of stuff going on in your mind. I don't know. I know I'd fight with that. But the rest of the week when you leave this building is your life marked with obedience. Have you come to believe in Christ and are you now... And currently following him, or even as Calvin put it in his little book on the Christian life, some of us are nowhere near where we ought to be or want to be, but we limp along and we crawl as best we can towards making what progress we can in obedience. So those who receive this great promise in the text here are those who love him. But notice, secondly, the help that Jesus offers and promises, verse number 16. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. <clears throat> now is living your Christian life just a matter of you just a matter of you doing what you're supposed to do? Is God giving us all these commandments and, and telling us that I want you to fulfill all that I want for you in this life and all that I've instructed you to do, so go get it done. To answer that, we must come back to this this passage here that he is not leaving his disciples alone to fulfill his commandment. He is sending them, he's sending them help from on high. Some of you, when we speak about obedience, tend to have a a, a kind of what do you call that, a glitch or a niche or whatever, you just twitch. That's it, right? <laughs> You're thinking obedience. What what part of the day are you talking about? You know, maybe before I wake up, I'm obedient. After I wake up, it goes downhill. In fact, many times we feel frustrated uh, because of the progress that we've made and our likeness to Christ and what he has called us to do. What Jesus is reminding us this morning and something that we all need to hear is that you're not alone in this process. God doesn't call you to live a certain way that he has not provided the means necessary to to work that out. He enables us. He empowers us to obey his will and his command. And he does so chiefly here in Jesus's words by giving us another helper. Jesus prays for us. And aren't you glad? I mean, I like when people pray for me. You guys tell me often, many of you tell me often, I'm praying for you. And, and I'm like, thank you. Because I, after last week, I realized God answers prayer, right? <laughs> How much more does God answer the prayer of his own son? And so he said, I, I will pray for you. I will ask the Father, and he will send you another helper. And implied in verse number 16 is the fact that Jesus had been with them. He had kept them, he had led them, he had taught them, he had shown them God's love. He will send someone like him to them, a helper, in verse uh, verse 16. Uh, the uh, ESV, New American Standard Bible, New King James Bible, translated paraclete as helper. Uh, the King James um, translates it as comforter. I think there's one translation that says counselor. Is that right? Maybe the old NIV. Uh, The NIV that I have access to has it as advocate. New Living Translation. Why all the different words? Because it's hard to get your arm around who it is that Jesus is referring to. In one sense, we look at this in in an advocate as a sense of a legal representation. Jesus is referred in 1 John as our advocate before the Father. So we can be cleansed and forgiven of our sins because we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so here the same word being used here is, is the Holy Spirit one who is representing us before God or is he one who is taking what is God's and, and giving to us? I think the latter is is what is going on here. It is a multi viewed or multi-colored idea not one word can capture this work of the holy spirit in us. I think the ESV is is good as long as we understand helper not as someone who just comes along like if you're a master craftsman and and you got a helper who doesn't know how to do anything a sweep, right? So sometimes when you read the Bible, you might think, oh, the Holy Spirit's my helper, so I do the major part, and he does the sweeping, right? That's not what he's talking about. Um, Sometimes we think that way. But here, the helper, that is God in us. the One who influences us, leads us, applies to us all those things which Christ's death has bought for us and his resurrection. In fact, you see that a little later on when he says... Verse number 19, because I live, you will also live. He's speaking of his own resurrection. You will also live. That resurrected life is given to us through the work of this spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just kind of give you two or three things that he describes uh, concerning the work of the Holy Spirit uh, for us in this passage. The first of, he is... He's the teacher. He will teach them. Jesus is the one who taught them about God, about the kingdom of God. But now the Holy Spirit will come and he will teach them. He is referred to in verse number 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Spirit of truth. He has come between verse 17 and verse 26. Look at it with me. The helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit will come and, and teach them, guide them into truth. Not only will he teach them in that way, but he will also bring back to their remembrance all that Christ has said. Now, I would say that this is in a, in a peculiar or particular way uh, fulfilled that it isn't today. By that, uh, the Holy Spirit brought back to the minds of the apostles, the early church apostles, all that Christ said and did. That's what we're reading, right? It's the gospel. It isn't just John trying to think of the things that Jesus said, and I think I got it right. We know Paul says later on, all scriptures inspired and breathed out by God. The, the very words that we're reading today is the work of the Holy Spirit fulfilling what Jesus promised his disciples that he would do. And that is bring back to the remembrance. But not just captured in the Gospels, we see the epistles and the letters which the uh, apostles begin to explain and define and, and, and uh, flesh out what it means that Jesus became flesh and died for us. What it means to be born again, what it means that he rose from the dead. And, and all that explaining wasn't just their, their guess at what Jesus was about, it was the work of the Holy Spirit through them in a powerful, effective, without error way. So what we have uh, really in our hands and what we come to the table to every morning and week after week is the fulfillment of this promise of the Holy Spirit coming and working powerfully through the disciples. He would bring back to the remembrance. He would explain and and, and illuminate their minds. And he, he would do that for our sake. Not just what Christ has done and said, but what Christ accomplished and what He did and what He said. Yet even now, let me just say this, and even now, the Spirit leads us into truth. Even today, the Holy Spirit works in our life, illuminates our mind and our understanding. He brings us to, to comprehend and to see uh, the deep truths and the, the beauty of who Jesus is. In fact, that's his first work in our life, that work of illumination, uh, the wisdom of God found in the gospel, isn't it? Because the, the heart that's against God, the wisdom of this world, according to 1 Corinthians 1, is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who are not being saved. It doesn't make sense. It, uh, the pieces don't add up. It's not that they can't comprehend one plus one equals two. It's just a complete rejection of it as as folly or nonsense or a wives tale or whatever they want to call it. It, it just goes against human intuition. It is the work of the Spirit of God in our lives that, that turns the light on. I so, said, no, that really is True, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I have sinned. And, and so I'm one of the all. And, and, and the consequences of my sin is death. And, and so I'm, I'm appointed to die and face the judgment. And it is through God and his work of Christ on the cross that took that judgment. And, and over and over the spirit of God. Both of the conviction of sin and the presentation of the gospel is at work in us uh, for our redemption. He is continuing, even beyond that, uh, continuing to open up our eyes and understanding to the beauty of Christ. Isn't that our experience this morning? I mean, you get saved, you don't know anything. You don't know how to pray. You don't know. I mean, what percentage do you give before taxes, after taxes? What I mean, you, you just go through all these things that, that tend to be confusing, and and, in, and even in that, you you kind of know the gospel. But then over and over, we continue to grow in the depth and understanding of the love of Christ. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul prays for. The church, that he might open your eyes to see this. And he continues. He is coming. Christ has sent him into the world. Not just into the world, but into our own hearts. That that we might know him. And that we may, in knowing him, believe him and follow him. And that's what we do as we encounter God's word. He's the spirit of truth. Not the spirit of intuition. Not any of those things. The spirit of God takes the word of God. Applying it to our heart. He he quickens our mind in one sense. But he also quickens his own word so that it may do its work in us. It's not a word doing the work, and then the Holy Spirit over here doing something else later on. But together, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, which transforms our lives as we encounter it. How do you see Christ today? Well, you don't see Christ by going, uh, finding somebody named Jesus. I mean, that's not how you see Jesus, right? It was a terrible illustration that's come to my mind. You should try the Spirit. How do you see Jesus? It's the work of the Spirit of God. To illuminate Christ through His Word by faith. And He still does that today. Praise God for that. But secondly, not only does He illuminate our minds teaching us uh, those things. And by the way, it's His Word, so He's the best interpreter of it. Right? But secondly, the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance those things which we have seen and learned. Is that not the case in your life? You ever been in a place and got ready to do something and and a verse just comes to mind? And, And that verse kind of goes against what you're getting ready to do? Some of you are looking at me like that's never happened to you. What is that? Is that not... God working in us. The Holy Spirit working in us. Bringing back to our remembrance those things. Not those things that we have never heard or never learned. So there's the aspect of of giving the Holy Spirit something to work with. But but those things we heard. Those things we've learned. Those things that we've been taught. uh, To stir up in those moments we need it most. In times of temptation. or, Or whatever else we're facing. He brings back to remembrance. I remember... I am a poor example of this. I remember standing in in an office in New York City years ago before. uh, I hadn't been married a year, and I was standing there, and I was talking to someone about a job offer. They were talking to me about one, and they were telling me all this stuff about all that it required, and the verse came to my mind, your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price. I walked right out of there just happy, uh, not taking the job for sure. Uh, Why? Because I belong to God. The Spirit of God uses His Word in our life. He brings those things back to remembrance, but not just times in our temptation, but in times of our sorrow and times of our trial. How often has a passage come to mind or a verse has come to mind or, or maybe a phrase come to mind in the moment we need it which helps steal us and give us the courage to, to continue on or to trust Christ. And, and that's God in us at work. We tend to minimize these things because we think God in us at work is, is like mountains moving all the time and it isn't. But somehow... Somehow the mystery, the treasure of God being being seen in what we see as small mundane things, that treasure in earthen vessels, the Spirit of God at work in us, is helping us. But not only is he teaching us the ways in which he does, much more could be said about that, but he is also fulfilling the promise of Emmanuel. Now, what does Emmanuel mean? You know that in God with us, right? And, and Jesus, as you know, when he was born, the angel said, "You will call his name Jesus, which means God with us." And here, God with us, Jesus in the flesh, is telling his disciples, "I'm not, uh, I'm not very much longer going to be with you. I'm leaving. I'm going back to the Father." And and you should be rejoicing. He says that a little later on. You should be rejoicing about that because I'm going back to the Father, uh, for the Father is greater than I. Verse number twenty eight. So how is this promise fulfilled? Well, in one way, it's fulfilled in the sense of we can turn to God. We can trust God. We can believe in God. We can pray to God. It's a reminder of his goodwill, his good intention towards us, no longer in hostility and at enmity, but, but in fellowship, right? We could look at it that way. I think mean, that's true. Jesus purchased that for us on the cross, Isn't that what the gospel teaches us. God with us. What does that mean? He's always with us. He'll never forsake us. We we have that kind of access. But here he says it's more than just this disposition of favor. No, God is with you in the sense of he's in you. Do you see that in verse number 16? He says, I will not leave you as orphans. He'll say that a little later on. Verse 18, I will come to you. How is Jesus going to come to us? Well, some people believe that's the resurrection appearance. I think it's within the context of the Holy Spirit. I will come to you in by in way of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you how long? Don't you like the forever? Everlasting life. That's not a forever, but that's kind of a forever, isn't it? Everlasting life. Jesus says, I am leaving you physically, but God has not left you and will not leave you at all. But the Holy Spirit, the helper that I'm sending to you, will be forever with you. Forever with you. In heaven, the Holy Spirit forever with you. And through sickness, the Holy Spirit forever with you. Through temptation, the Holy Spirit forever with you. In in persecution, the Holy Spirit what? forever with you. That's what Jesus is saying. There's there's nothing that will undo this work that the Holy Spirit will do in your life. You remember, no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. Uh, How is he going to keep us this morning in the Psalms 121? How many times does it say, he who keeps you? Over and over, he keeps, he keeps. How does he keep? Because he is with you forever. He is with you forever. The Holy Spirit with you forever. Even the Holy Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. I think that's implication because he has been working through me for these three and a half years. But not only do you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There's something about that, um, God working through external means. He does that, doesn't he? James, what is it? Count it all joy because these trials are doing something. Uh, and so we're to count it all joy because this outward situation is doing something for us. And what he says here, this Holy Spirit that, that is given to you will be in you forever. He'll be working on the inside. Uh, Changing, transforming your life from the inside. He will be in you. Paul could say the outward man is wasting away, but the inward man is what? Where does that renewal come from? Well, it comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Who quickens us and gives us life. Verse 18 and 19, he describes it Jesus and uh, Jesus coming to them and being with them. Well, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is fulfilling the promise God with us. Now, think about how intimate that reality is. It's the very Spirit that had been with Jesus all the way from the conception in Mary's womb, all the way through Jesus' life. The baptism coming down as a dove and all the ministries and miracles that he did. The Holy Spirit, not a different spirit, not another kind of fraction of the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, I am giving to you. He will come to you and he will live in you. How remarkable of a thought that is. That the very spirit that indwelt Christ, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity is the very one who lives within you. If you love him. What an amazing thought. Notice that fulfillment is fleshed out here. Verse 23. Jesus answered him. If anyone loves me. He will keep my word. And my father will love him. We will come to him. And make our home with him. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson speaking about this verse says. "Uh, The Holy Spirit is coming as a homemaker. Uh, that's probably uh, been a, a, a used term in our day to kind of relieve uh, uh, some of the other ideas that's been going on in our culture, but he's coming to to rearrange your life so that your life looks more like the dwelling place of God. Can we say it that way? You understand what that is? Rearranging, stirring up and changing, knocking out cobwebs of indifference and idolatry stained the stain of idolatry repainting rooms of our selfishness and pride and and kicking out walls of our indifference and stubbornness and all of this as he's building on his is rearranging our lives sometimes painfully amen but all for the purpose uh, for the purpose of dwelling in us god in us and so he can say Uh, That the Holy Spirit is coming and he is making our lives, making our hearts a dwelling place for the Father and for the Son. Some of of us know this in a little children's song we teach our children, right? Uh, Some of you don't that I've come to find out on Wednesday nights. Uh, How many of you know the song, He's Still Working On Me? He's Still Working On Me to Make Me What I Ought to Be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars how loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Isn't that our lives? We continually living and through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, not only teaching us the word of God, but, but working in us, conforming us to the image of Christ, enabling us to fulfill the ministry that God has given us, but not just the ministry, but the objective to walk in holiness and righteousness, which you and I cannot do on our own. Now he says, walk in obedience. The disciples are to obey the word of God, but they are not to obey in their own strength and in their own power. In fact, we're told that we're to walk in the spirit who helps us. and We will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I find that so interesting in verse 23 that he says, "We we will come to him and make our home in him. Why doesn't he say, why doesn't he say, the Spirit will make his home in you. Why does he say the Father and the Son will make their home with you? I think for the very same reason, the Holy Spirit is of the same essence as the Father and the Son, the perfect representative of the Godhead. Just as when you see Christ, you see the Father that he mentions early on. There's no there's no difference in character or conduct or message or work. So the same is true about the Holy Spirit living in us. And isn't that a remarkable truth? Where Christ or Paul could say, uh, in one way, this mystery of the gospel is... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is in you because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. If I could put it another way, you're not alone. He has not abandoned us, left us as orphans, but has come to help us, enable us, to live within us and to secure us. Let me clear up a little confusion uh, here in this passage. Um, and that is. Paul gives. Or not Paul. But John gives two categories of people. Uh, Jesus is the one giving the, the teaching here. And he says. There are those who love me. And verse 23. And there are those who do not love me. There's not a third group of people. Uh, there is the world. Described for us earlier on. In verse number 17. And and there is Those who are out of the world, that he says later on. Those who do not love Christ and disobey Him, and those who love Him and those who obey Him. To those who do not love Him, those who do not obey Him, he says in verse number 17, he says they cannot receive Him, they cannot see Him, they cannot know Him, verse 17. Why? Because they have not received Christ, they do not love Christ, And it's evident because they're disobedient to Christ. It does not leave us in a hopeless situation if you're there this morning. Because the Bible says repent and believe and be saved. But the Holy Spirit is also not a gift for some Christians and not for other Christians. He's not speaking of those who have come around to working things out a little bit better than other Christians who have not put the pieces together yet. It's not a second or third or fourth act that many go unaware of. The Holy Spirit is given to all those is present, lives within, and dwells all those who love Christ. Repeatedly, those who love Christ, those who obey Christ, helps all those who love Christ, works within all those who receive Jesus. And the gospel of salvation, Romans 8 makes this point very clear. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So what I'm saying is that as you come this morning and you may view your, your, your place in life and you may not be happy where, where you are in your, your progress and sanctification. And in fact, I don't know as anyone that is exactly where they want to be. And you look at other people and you say, well, they just, got their, they just got it all together. And I want to just tell you the same spirit that lived in Christ and empowered Christ, enabled Christ, the same spirit that lived within Paul and Peter and John and all these other apostles and disciples, the same spirit that lives within them, that that person that you're looking to is the same spirit that lives within you if you're Christ is the same one who is there to help you and aid you, correct you and convict you and draw you and point you and and do all that work within you. You have hope and you can rejoice this morning and this evening and next week, no matter what goes on in your life, because, because we are not alone. God has not abandoned us nor left it all up to us. And thank God for that. Not just ministry-wise in what we do in our, our, our daily life, but, but in our Christian walk. God never intended you to do it by yourself. And because He lives in us, we might have the boldness and the instruction to walk in the Spirit. And let His influence, through the Word of God, direct our steps. You can yield to the Holy Spirit this morning. You can yield to Him in the times of temptation in your life this week. Why? Because he's in you, continually working, pointing, drawing. If you're here this morning and this seems foreign to you, your life is marked not by obedience but by disobedience. Um, I wanted to just encourage you come to Christ. Have you ever put your faith and trust in him? Have you ever surrendered your life to him? Have you ever come to say, I've understood what you've said about who you are and what you did on the cross, and I understand my need of that, and, and I, I lay myself at your feet. I believe. Uh, that's the first step of obedience for every one of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this day that you've given to us. Thank you for the encouragement. That You have not abandoned us. You have not left us alone. But even these words written to apostles who were had a lot on their plate when you ascended to heaven that you've commanded them to do, and yet you, you tell them, well, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Help us to take courage in that reminder and the things that we face. But you are with us. You're with us. In Jesus' name, amen.